Ephesians 4, 7 to 15. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You may be seated. It's good to be together this morning with uh, other believers. I think it is one of the uh, great gifts that we have is to uh, fellowship together. For some time, I have been preaching on focusing, whenever I preached here at Weavertown, on spiritual disciplines, and uh, I feel like I came to a place where uh, I want to uh, maybe turn from that maybe just a little bit, maybe not completely abandon it. Um, There was at least two more subjects that I thought of or had on my list of spiritual disciplines, Um, but for this time I I felt led somewhat by suggestion from some time ago there was a person that suggested that I talk on spiritual gifts. I've studied in this subject only briefly and maybe um, somewhat extensively quite a few years ago, and uh, so I um, felt the nudge to uh, talk on spiritual gifts, and uh, I will probably do that in at least two sermons, and I'll probably be at the end of the sermon maybe just uh, guiding you a little bit in uh, my thoughts on that uh, for the next sermon and inviting your participation. So, the gifts of the Spirit. There may have been times, probably all of us, let me ask it in question form. Have you ever thought about how many, how many hands are needed to make a church like Weavertown operate? How many jobs? It would be really interesting to do a survey where we would have papers or some way of you documenting the things that you do here at Weavertown. All of the different jobs and responsibilities, things that make Weavertown a living church. You know, it doesn't take particularly much skill to take care of something that's dead. 
You don't have to be a particularly skilled person to take care of a plant that's dead. You don't have to be a particularly skilled person to take care of anything that is not living. But it takes a lot of skill and a lot of hard work to take care of something that's living and thriving. There's thought and forethought that goes into whatever program it is, whether you're a herdman, whether you're a person who takes care of plants, whether you're a person that takes care of something, anything that's alive, there is a surprising amount of hard work that goes into that, to, to keeping that thing thriving, whatever it is. And that is true for a church. It takes a surprising amount of skill and hard work to keep a particular, particular local church moving forward and thriving. And my prayer is that we at Weavertown could do that, would do that. And that's one of my goals and one of, my, um, yeah, one of the particular burdens of my heart as I preach this, that we would be able to, to discover what God has called you to do here at Weavertown Church. And I think, of course... I think it should just be understood that we here at Weavertown are part of the global church of God. And I think that God has not only um, that the body of Jesus Christ is, we're part of the, lo of the local body of Jesus Christ here at Weavertown Church, but there is also a global body of believers. And I think that Weavertown should also discover what is our niche in that global body. While we individually can find our niche in the Weavertown church, there is also something to be said about Weavertown finding their niche in the global body of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the gifts of the Spirit. Whenever I study, explore this subject in any form, one of the things that especially stands out to me is that when you talk about this subject of gifts, we quickly and immediately realize that we are on the Holy Spirit's turf. Because in these passages that are talked about, where the gifts of the Spirit are talked about, the Holy Spirit is mentioned time after time after time. I didn't actually count. There's lots of times that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. He is the giver. It is not about us. It is about Him. Let's catch that. We're on the Holy Spirit's turf because the Spirit of God is, yeah, talked about freely and very often in these passages. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4, Paul clarifies that there are diversities of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. In verse 5 of the same passage, he says that there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, he says in the next verse, verse 6, but the same God. In verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for the profit of everybody. And I think it's something that we need to just keep in mind as we study this, that 
This subject of spiritual gifts, while it has given much room for argument and for division, um, I, I think that we need to remind ourselves that this subject is, is not something that is divisive to God. He operates as one, and so we should seek for that same thing. And I'd like to especially highlight 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, while there are manifestations of the spiritual gifts, they are given not for my individual profit so much as for the profit of everyone. And I think when we run into trouble is when we think that the gift that God has given me is for me so that I am on a pedestal, so that people can do what I say, and so that I have the the upper hand in some discussion because I have been imparted some sort of gift and since you don't have that gift then you need to listen to me. I'm exaggerating but I think that's the point that has caused great conflict and division in, in churches and it's something that I think should not be a part of our group at Weavertown and I'm going to try to um, not project this subject in that way because the Bible doesn't. The truth of the matter is this. The very moment that you and I are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God, that is the two factors of the conception that the Bible talks about as being born again. When the Word of God and the Spirit of God come together, there is conception, there's birth, new birth. The Bible talks it is the term of choice in the, new, in the New Testament. And when that happens, when that conception of the new birth takes place, we're endowed, I think, with a particular gift from God. And it resembles His purpose and His mission for us as a believer in Jesus Christ. I came across a story some time ago of a man who talked about the fact that he was born on January 1st. He was a New Year's baby. And you've probably noticed, especially maybe in a small town, how that the first baby that's born on a particular calendar year gets maybe some attention. There are people, businesses or whatever, who will give gift cards and the family of the first child that's born on a calendar year gets, yeah, gift cards. It might be for a grocery store. They might get a year's supply of diapers or all sorts of things like that. In this particular story, the person said that the parents of the baby got free diaper service. The baby's older siblings got gifts such as candy and other gifts But what did the baby get out of it? Nothing. He got nothing. And I think that's exactly how it is with spiritual gifts. The primary purpose of God giving you the spiritual gift that he has given is for others. 
It is for the growth and the maturity of the body. Sure, when you are obedient to God's plan and purpose and work in your life, there are blessings for you. But the gift is given for the purpose of others. It's for the benefit of the whole. And sort of like the New Year's baby, there's not really something specifically for you by way of some sort of virtue or anything like that. And I think in that same way, every believer, at the moment of our new birth, we're gifted by God for a specific purpose, to bring a specific blessing to His church. And I, I feel very rather strongly that that is not only part of the global church, but it's also part of the local church. You get the gift at the time of your spiritual birthday, but the benefit is for others. The gift that God gives you is for the benefit of the whole. I also realize that when we think of spiritual gifts, and especially in the next sermon, I plan to try to give us some teaching to help us identify what is our spiritual gift when we talk about the motivational gifts. I realize that it can be a bit overwhelming for some of us to try to identify our gift. And maybe there's some of us that say, well, what does it actually matter what my gift is? Actually, I think that sort of gives away what your gift might be. But we can get confused also because of the list that are, it seems like, ever-increasing lists of temperaments and enneagrams and disc profiles and all of these things where we try to categorize, categorize personalities and group people into certain categories and gifts. All of those things have their value and their purpose, I think. And, but there are people, there are some of us in a, in a group like this that get a little weary with that and uh, uh, maybe wonder what, what the purpose of that actually is. And I, I understand that. But at the same time, I, I also think that there is something to be said. And maybe, maybe I will just extend myself just a little bit. For me personally, I think I feel a bit sad to think that there are perhaps many Christians, some Christians, who have never really stopped to ask themselves the question, what is it that God wants me to contribute? What has he gifted me with? For Weavertown Church. What is it that our church at Weavertown is gifted with that contributes to the entire body, the global body of, of God, of Jesus? What is my gift to Weavertown Church? <clears throat> All right, let's dial in here just a little bit and get a perspective on gifts according to the New Testament. Now, depending on who does the study, the New Testament lists at least 15 different particular gifts of the Spirit. And to make it a bit easier, I've chosen to look at these gifts by putting them in three different categories. And I do that at least partially because there are three 
key passages in the Bible where spiritual gifts are taught. And while they evidently and obviously cross over at various points, they are also, it is also important for us to notice the differences in these passages. And I think it implies that there are uh, these lists of, of gifts are, while they cross over at some point, they are also different in other ways. The first one is in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, and there it lists at least seven motivational gifts, reasons or things that motivate you to do things in the body of, of Jesus Christ, whether it's the global body or the local body. I, I I'm going to, for at least the purposes of, of our study here at Weavertown, I'm just going to think of that in terms of the local body. It talks about, yeah, a list of motivational gifts, things that motivate us to do what we do. They motivate us when we're in relationships. They motivate us when we're looking at what needs to be done things that stand out to us as things that, that need to be improved in our church or things that need to be worked on, those things stand out to us because we have been gifted with that particular gift. And then there's a list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, and I have entitled that list the manifestation gifts or the sign gifts. And I'll be talking about that just a little bit later. And then finally, we have a list here in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 8, and especially in verses 11 to 12, where there is a list of ministry gifts. Now, if you have a basket of apples, oranges, and bananas in one basket, what do you have? Well... It's a basket of fruit, right? When we say that there is a basket of fruit, we're not saying that the apples and the oranges and the apples are alike. We are just saying that it's a basket of fruit. And I think in that, maybe in that same similar way, you have these three groups or three lists of spiritual gifts that are given in the New Testament. They are gifts for sure, but I think there's some differences in these gifts. All of these groups are spiritual gifts, but like the fruit in the basket, each group is, uh, is unique and somewhat distinct from the other group. I've chosen to look at this list in reverse. Today, I want to talk about ministry gifts and manifestation gifts. And probably, Lord willing, in our next, the next time I preach here at Weavertown, I will talk about the motivational gifts. So first of all, ministry gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, you have this list of gifts that are mentioned. It says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. There you have the list. Five gifts that are listed here. And this particular gift list, the word for gifts is the word doma. I think I'm saying that correctly. It's a Greek word, and it literally means a present. It is something that is given by way of a giver. And I think, again, I'm going back to that same thought that I had mentioned earlier. 
I think it's important for us to remember this, that gifts are given by a giver. They're not gifts that come from within ourselves. They are not necessarily gifts that we get because we want them or desire to have them, or that in some way we see that as an ideal gift, and so we develop that gift as much as we can. That's not exactly the way Scripture lists it. It is something that's given to us by a giver, God, in that picture. And we are responsible, I think, to recognize that and operate in that gift or in that sphere. It's not something that is necessarily cooked up or developed within us because it's something that we want. It's a gift that's given by a giver, and the giver is obviously the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. It is not something that's earned. So there are five ministry gifts, gifts that are listed in this passage. An apostle is one who, at least in the Bible times, was, a, was one who established and strengthened churches. The apostles were people that it literally means, the Greek word means a person that sent. And then there is prophet, one who speaks forth the message of God. There's an evangelist pastor, teacher. I'm going to break all of these down and we'll take them sort of one by one. I think it is really important for us to, to take a look at this passage and as we read this, as we study this, this list of ministry gifts, I think it's important for us to not think of these gifts as titles. But I think more importantly, it's important we should think of them as functions within the church. And part of the main, or there are several reasons why I feel it's important for us. Number one is that I think it's, it becomes dangerous for us to think of this as titles or the pastors at Weavertown or leaders of the global church in some sort of way. But these are functions that God blesses the church with the people that are gifted, or these gifts may or may not mean that you are in a position of leadership, or that the title, that you have a title that extends this gift to you by way of the giving of the title, if you follow what I'm saying. But these are gifts that God has given to, to the church for the purpose of the church functioning. And it's easy for us to look at these words and to think of people who are ordained or people that are specifically given a title as such. I find myself pushing back on that thought actually rather strongly. It's a list of functions that believers are equipped with, not necessarily positions in the church. A person, for example, does not become a prophet necessarily with the giving of the title. The giving of the title does not make a person become something that he isn't previously, for example. Another reason that I think this is that verse 12 and following makes it very clear that these gifts are given. These ministry gifts are given for the purpose of bringing maturity to the church. Notice what he says, 
Uh, let me back up just in verse 12. He says, they are for the gift of equipping God's people. And the King James Version is kind of interesting here. I don't know for sure what is the exact translation, but many of the translations do not have a comma between for the work of the ministry, comma, for the perfecting of the saints. Many of the translations do not have a comma, or for the edifying of the body of Christ, I said that incorrectly. So the King James Version says, they are for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry. And many of the translations do not have that comma there after faith. I'm sorry, uh, saints. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. I think that is, uh, I actually prefer that translation rather clearly. Um, it could be either, I think, but it is for the perfecting. The word perfect, as it's used in the, in the New Testament, is almost always carries the idea of completeness or wholeness or maturity. And that does not imply that you have reached your final destination. It just means that in the state that you're in, you're mature. Think of an of a apple tree. Right now, they are probably in bloom, sort of, yes. Uh, fruit trees are blooming right now. Are they perfect? Yes. In the state that they are in, they're perfect. Which, is the, which, is the, which part of the fruit development process is wholeness or completeness? Well, they're all, as long as it's progressing, right? And that's, that's the word that's usually, that's, that's the idea that's implied when we see the word perfect, which shows up here in the text here in Ephesians. <clears throat> the perfecting for the completion of the saints so that ministry gets done. It's for the purpose of function, like I said. And then he goes on in verses... Um, Verse 14, he says that we be henceforth no more children. Has the idea, these gifts are given for the purpose of bringing maturity. That we be no more children. And verse 15, that we may grow up in him in all things. It has the idea of maturity. Again, the purpose of these gifts is to equip God's people for the work of ministry. For getting God's work done on earth. Now, one of the distinct features or the things that I appreciate about Bible study is that I can lean heavily on others. Um, I, by nature, am a gatherer. I much, most of, a lot of what I give on any particular sermon or any time I'm up talking is things that I've found from other people. I'm a gatherer. I tend to be that way, perhaps to a fault. But I appreciate the work that others have done. Teachers, for example, have written books and have enlightened me at some point or another, and I use what they brought. And I call on those thoughts that were given to me, things that were given to me, that were instructed to me, books or otherwise. I really need to keep moving here. <clears throat> I think it's important for us to just qualify at this point 
something that I think is important for us, and I'll refer to it from time to time as I go through the sermon today and perhaps otherwise as well. I think it's so important for us to, to qualify these gifts, that these ministry gifts are, are perhaps always. People with these gifts, maybe always, love the church. They are sound in biblical doctrine. And people with these gifts are willing to work as a team with others. I think as soon as we start to, to delve out or to branch out from these qualifications, it disqualifies us from operating in this realm of ministry. When we assume responsibility for our gift, when we decide that we can't work as a team, won't work as a team, and we even, I think dangerously, carnally, project ourselves and our gift as something that is above others, it disqualifies us from doing God's work in a functional manner in a church, whether it's the local church or the global church. So this list of five, apostle, the God-giving special calling, the anointing to serve, strengthening the body of Christ, by launching new ministry ventures that advance God's kingdom. A lot of times that's in a local way. We, I can think of people in our church here at Weavertown who are especially good at this. They're especially looking for uh, ways to get the kingdom of God advanced to other areas, perhaps even in a different geographical area. Like I said, the original Greek meaning here has a person who is sent, and it also implies that he's given an edict or a mandate, a person who is sent with a, for a particular purpose. He is sent with authority. People with this gift at Weavertown Church are visionaries. They see the big picture. They often have a unique calling to start new endeavors, new ministries, they are especially eager for churches and for individuals to reach full potential uh, for God. They're often called to oversee uh, committees or projects in a church. They often have their sights on, um, like I said, the bigger picture. They, they tend to look beyond just Lancaster County. They're looking at, at uh, other geographical areas. They are often pioneers and tend to be risky and and uh, enjoy the challenge of new adventures and that sort of thing. And maybe even enjoy some of the, the hardships that they encounter along that way. A prophet can, is, is one who speaks forth the message. And I think that in the, both the Old and New Testament, we can see this. It's the idea of forth-telling or taking the Word of God and proclaiming it. And sometimes foretelling where predictions will be made. And um, I think um, I'll refer to this maybe just a little later, but um, especially forth-telling the Word of God. I think people with this gift are often recognized in a church for communicating God's Word through a variety of means. It might be through teaching, through illustrations. They have the ability to... to, to 
to share biblical convictions in a church, vision for the church. Often they have strong biblical boundaries that are used to, uh, as they speak, to challenge others. They're able to and willing to apply church discipline where it's needed in correction, where there's false teaching. Prophets tend to be especially passionate to the desire to hear, for others to hear God's word. An evangelist. Specifically, it's a God-given calling to serve and strengthen the body of Christ through sharing the gospel. An evangelist has a unique ability to take the message of the Bible and especially uh, call others to a higher level, whether it's calling people to um, make a decision for Jesus Christ or for just calling them to a higher level of faith, believers to a higher level of faith. <clears throat> and then there's a pastor. I think it's very interesting that in um, most passages in the New Testament and quite a few other languages. Nate Bang tells me that the Romanian language uses the same, the exact same word for pastor as the word shepherd. I think the Spanish is exactly the same. Pastor, shepherd, it's the exact same word. The idea of watching for others. And when I think about shepherding, um, I haven't had much chance to actually see shepherds in real life. But I think there's at least several things that shepherds are responsible for. The eastern shepherd who watches his sheep, they're responsible to watch for enemies that, are, that want to attack the sheep. They're responsible to defend the sheep from attackers. They're responsible to heal the wounded and sickly sheep. And they're also responsible to find sheep that are straying or lost. <coughs> shepherds are responsible to love the sheep to share their lives with the sheep, to work hard and earn the trust of the sheep. These are qualifications of a, an actual shepherd who watches sheep, and I think they apply directly to this same idea of pastoring. And I want to emphasize that I think that the pastor-shepherd may or may not be in a position of leadership in a particular church, whether that's Weavertown or otherwise. Just because a person is given a title of pastor does not necessarily mean that he is the pastor. It does not mean that you, having not given the title in some way or another, don't have this gift. I actually feel fairly strongly about that. People with a shepherd, pastor, and gift are driven to help others, to push others forward, to reach their full potential. They have a heart to lead and a, to care for the community of believers. They have a desire for, to walk beside people and to help others find their calling and their gifts. Shepherds, pastors, watch over the, the church, sort of like a shepherd watches over sheep. They meet the needs that are represented in the, in the local group. They give their time to help with spiritual issues. They're diligent to know what's going on in the state of the flock. And they're especially eager to help and to be the answer to that. And then there's teacher. And a teacher, as it's given in this list and other places in the Bible, is simply a person who is anointed to instruct. And we have people like that in our midst. 
Praise the Lord. The teacher has a unique ability to share his love for study, has ability to make study fun and exciting, to call you into things that he understands or she understands and make it easy to understand, to make it fun to follow. They're able to take hard things and break it down so that a person can understand it. A, pe- a, per- a person with this teaching gift are often driven by passion for, spiritual, for biblical truth. They're given to hours of study themselves. A person is a teacher, qualified as a teacher, because he or she enjoys learning. And they, they study as a, as a way of satisfying that desire to learn. Teachers are often use a variety of ways to effectively communicate the Word of God. Not just one way, they use multiple ways. They're able to break it down so that's understandable. They have a desire to teach and to equip. They're capable teachers. And again, a person with this gift may or may not be in a position of leadership in a particular local group. Jesus Christ is no longer on the earth in bodily form. He ascended back off the Mount of Olives, and the disciples looked up to heaven and saw him go. He is no longer on the earth in bodily form, and so the people who had been given the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the people who are born again are entrusted with being equippers for the body of believers, as it says here. These gifts are for the purpose of stability, it says in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, easily swayed, easily influenced. Whatever somebody tells us, we believe it. And children tend to be more gullible. And I think we should be alert to that. The, the, the purpose of this list of gifts is to bring stability and growth to a congregation. And I just want to, again, emphasize that I do not necessarily see these, this list as being positions or titles. They are functions. I want to turn now and move to the second, another list here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you want, you can turn your Bibles to that list. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul here in uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14 um, goes at relative length to talk about the spiritual gifts as um, the Corinthians were a church who not only utilized the gifts, but they also abused them. In chapter 12, verse 1, I think it's interesting to note that, at least in my Bible, in the King James Version, the word gifts is italicized. That means that the translators added that word to make it understandable or readable. When I look at the word spiritual, as it's given there in chapter 12, verse 1, 
In the original language, that's Greek, it's a der derivative of the word pneuma. And we still have, we have that, that word is in use in our English language, for instance, when we talk about pneumatic tools, air. In John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says that the Spirit is like wind. And it's that same word, pneuma. Well, we can't really see wind, can we? We can see the effects of it. We can feel it. But you can't see air. Not usually. You have to mix something with it so that you can see air. Or, I guess not even specifically, that's not even exactly correct. You can't see air. You can't see wind. So I think it's somewhat instructive to think about that. When we think about the sign gifts or the manifestation gifts, it's a derivative of the word pneuma that's used here. So concerning spiritual gifts, he says, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he clearly describes that pneuma as something supernatural. He describes it as something that's beyond the extension or beyond the comprehension of human capacities. It's something that's beyond that. The word that we use most to describe this is the word miracle. And again, the English language is fascinating in the sense that we usually have to use multiple words or synonyms to, to, to describe it. And... Um, some other languages are less that way. But one of the words that we would use to describe this word pneuma is the word miracle. Now, this particular list here in Romans, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, has caused probably more division than maybe other, all the other lists combined. But I want to especially highlight several things, and I don't have to have the time or even particularly feel like I have the knowledge or the skill to, to break this down completely. But I, I want us to think together about a few things here. First of all, I see miracles as something that, uh, as it's given here in the passage, is something that happens in our world today. However... We have been, I think, falsely instructed that miracles come primarily from people. And I think that's a big problem. I think miracles throughout Scripture are, are uh, with the exception of about four stages of life, or through stages of time. Uh, for instance... Um, during the time of Moses and Joshua, there was an expansion of miracles, supernatural things happening left and right in, in gusts of, of time. There was also uh, Elijah and Elisha, where there was a gust of miracles, supernatural things that happened in rapid succession. And then there was a time of Jesus and the apostles, where there was gusts of supernatural miracles that were happening. And Revelation teaches that there's a time where there's going to, again, be an extraordinary gust of miracles, not only in the, the nature of the, of the event, but also in the, the amount or the, the quantity of the miracles. But that does not mean that there are no miracles outside of those stages. However, it is, I think what Paul is instructing 
here in, in 1 Corinthians is that while these miracles exist, they should never be done as a result of lifting oneself up. That, I think, is a complete destruction to the purpose of the gifts. Gifts are given by a giver, and when the, the gift is exercised, it draws attention to the giver, not to the person who received the gift. When Jesus was preaching and the apostles were following Jesus' ministry, there was absolutely no New Testament. Nothing of the New Testament was written as we have it today. How was a person supposed to know whether or not Jesus was the Messiah? Well, I think one of the ways that, that Jesus proved that he was the, the Messiah was through miracles. In fact, in John chapter 9, verse 16, Jesus indicates that he healed the blind man so that they can know that he was the Messiah, that he was God's son. Who could do these miracles, he said, if he wasn't from God? How were the people in Acts to know that the apostles were empowered? Well, I think one of the ways was through their, the use of sign gifts, miracles. Moses in the Old Testament had the same dilemma when he was at the burning bush. One of the questions that he had for God, or actually it wasn't a question, Moses said, they're not going to believe me. If I go to Egypt and, and tell them that God's about to deliver the children of Israel, he said, they're not going to believe me. He was using it as an excuse to get out of it. And God empowered Moses by giving him sign gifts, the leprous hand. Remember, he put his hand into his um, cloak and pulled it out. It was leprous. He put it back in and it, was he it brought it out. It was healed. Same way with the, the rod that turned into a snake. I think one of the purposes that, uh, for that time and for any other time is to, to demonstrate that what what Moses was saying what Jesus was saying was actually God's word. I, I think, yeah. So, I think one of the cautions that I want to give here, and we hear in our 21st century, have illustrations, some of them relatively recent, where people say they have a word from God. And what they say turns out to be opposite than the facts. And I think we can just simply conclude that it was not from God, I, I, I guess. I mean, it was their prediction didn't come true. And I don't know what all can be said about that, but I think it's, an, it's a, a word of caution for us. I think one of the main reasons that sign gifts, at least in our time, maybe have been moved off of center stage, is at least partly because of the fact that when God finished the book of Revelation, there's a period. 
In other words, I'm saying that we have a canon of Scripture, a completed canon of Scripture. And that means that there will never be a higher authority than the Word of God. Never. It is the authority. And church traditions, not contemporary culture, not human leadership, not denominational conventions, and nothing, even when a person says, I have a word from God, does not necessarily mean that the scriptures are invalidated. And one of the ways that we can check whether a person actually has a word from God is to see if it lines up with scripture or if it actually comes to pass, if the prediction is, is in line with facts and reality. On any given Sunday, when I'm preaching, you can say, well, Dave Stolstwitz didn't do any miracles this morning. And so I'm not sure if he's speaking the truth. Well, I think the bigger question is whether what I say lines up with Scripture. We ought to be like the Bereans. We ought to search the Scriptures and see if these things are so. And I want to extend myself just a little bit here, maybe needlessly, but I think one of the reasons that Weavertown Church doesn't exercise the sign gifts very prominently is because I think we have a, an elevated view of the Word of God and its rightful place of authority, and that the Word of God is, is, the, is the ultimate authority in our lives, in our church. One of the things that becomes very clearly and strikingly apparent in this thing of signs and miracles is that it can be duplicated by Satan, by the enemy. You can see it throughout all Scripture. For instance, when Moses went to Pharaoh and did those miraculous things, the magicians of Egypt duplicated most of them, with the exception of maybe two of them. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, it says, Many will say unto me in that Lord, 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 have we not prophesied? Have we not cast out many, uh, have we not cast out devils? Have we not done many wonderful works? And that's actually the same word. That, uh, have we done miracles is that same word. Wonderful works is translated from that, that same Greek word, or at least a, um, the root word. And then will I profess unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity. In Acts chapter 19, the sons of Sceva were able to cast out demons because they cited Paul. In Revelation chapter 16, the devils are performing miracles at the end of the uh, tribulation there. In Revelation chapter 19, the false prophet is performing miracles. And the fact that there are miracles and supernatural things taking place does not necessarily in and of itself mean that it's of God. All I'm saying in all of that is that I think we need to be cautious. And I think it's important for us to, be, to realize that, that it is entirely possible for what we perceive to be a word from God to be subjective. And I think that the word of God is always objective. And when the closer that we can bring that subjectivity to the objectivity of God's Word, I think will be safer.
I forgot to run my clicker. <laughs> As I close, I want to give you three things. First of all, I think it's important for us to see how that God's love is expressed in the gifts. In all of these lists of gifts, and these three primary passages, I think wrapped in all of that is the, is the purpose of us understanding that God's love is rampant and available and is usually exercised in a body of believers. If, if there's one Christian, if, there were, if it were possible for all of us, for one Christian, if we would possess all of these gifts, we would be self-sufficient and we wouldn't need other people. We wouldn't even need God because there is only one in our midst that is all-sufficient, that has all the gifts, that's Jesus Christ. And the fact that he is the giver, has extended some of those gifts to us, should be a reminder of our need of him. We do not become little Christ that are commanding and, and controlling and uh, bossing nature or anything like that. But the gifts in our midst are a reminder that we need each other and we need God. None of us are all sufficient in and of us ourselves. Again, 1 Corinthians talk, talks about the diversities. In Romans chapter 12, it uses the two words side by side. We have gifts differing. We'll talk about that some more. As we serve God, as we serve people, and as we serve the world around us, the gifts are given of our, and as a reminder of our incredible need of Jesus Christ, of our need of the Holy Spirit, and the love of God is what brings all of that together. Secondly, I think it's important for us to, to understand that neglected gifts diminish the church's effectiveness. If, you decide, if you're dissatisfied with your spiritual gift and you decide not to use it, the church suffers. It's just like part of your body that stops working and your whole body suffers as a result of it. And thirdly, I feel like this is one of my primary goals in giving this sermons or this series of sermons. I think it's important for us to know that the gifts are valuable and needed in the body of Christ. And as we practice, as we exercise the gift that God has given us, it gives us purpose. It gives our relationships meaning. It adds value to our work in the church. And along with that, when we're obedient, we f receive personal fulfillment. And one of the ways that I think we can identify what is our spiritual gift is to think about what brings fulfillment to us. As we mature in our understanding of spiritual gifts, we learn to be channels of God's love to other people as we exercise them. We're equipped to bear fruit in the kingdom of God and here in this particular local body at Weavertown Church. The next time I preach, I'd like to look at uh, the motivational gifts and I'd like for you, I'm inviting you to participate. 
One of the ways that you can prepare yourself is to take a look at or possibly buy this book. It's available on Amazon. Um, it has been helpful to me, and there's other books that are available as well. Um, I like how Don and Katie Fortune break down the motivational gifts, the list that's given in Romans chapter 6, and uh, help people understand or teach people, guide, give us an understanding of what the motivational gifts are. If you want, you can buy that book. Uh, you can prepare yourself and think about the spiritual gifts and what your spiritual gift is. Uh, they're all listed right there in Romans chapter... Um, I said Romans chapter 6. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. Um, there's The motivational gifts are listed there. And if you want to prepare, um, perhaps you could even go through this in your small groups, um, in your accountability groups, your Bible study groups. Um, yeah, I'm giving you the invitation to participate in that particular way. Thank you for your attention here this morning. If you're able, I invite you to kneel as we close with prayer.